2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 23. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go, go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Let's welcome Dr. R.T. Kendall. How much respect do you have for the anointing of the Holy Spirit? How much respect do you have for the one who carries the anointing? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I would like to lift up every mother in this place that she will feel affirmed and blessed on this Mothering Sunday. I lift up also those who those women who may be here today who find this a difficult day for whatever reason, bless them. May they know that you're in their hands. I pray for those of us whose mothers have gone on. Lord, you know that my mother has been with you for nearly 64 years. Tell her I said hello. I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, applied as you intend. And cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you know that when Queen Elizabeth II uh, was given the throne, the coronation, June 3rd, 1953, that she was anointed with oil by the Archbishop of Canterbury and became the anointed queen of the Commonwealth. She is God's anointed for the Commonwealth. And yet, when I speak of the anointed today, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, how many of you will recall that young David had such respect for King Saul Although King Saul was trying to kill him, young David would not lay a hand on King Saul because he said, God forbid that I should touch God's anointed. But that's not what I mean in my talk today. 
Or how many of you have been surprised to read in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1, that Cyrus, king of Persia, was called God's anointed. And yet that is not the reason for my talk today. This passage that Bruce just read is easy to understand, and yet it's hard to understand. Could I read it one more time? It just takes a minute. When Elisha went up to Bethel, as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. How does that passage make you feel? When 42 young boys are struck dead by the power of God, what are we to believe? Did Elisha abuse his anointing? Did he misuse his anointing? Or is God safeguarding respect for the prophet? Or is he safeguarding respect for the anointing? Do you suppose that the Holy Spirit led Elisha to curse these youths? Or is this Elisha taking himself too seriously and taking their mocking personally and then abuses his anointing. Well, now look, what Elisha did is questionable. Would Jesus have reacted this way? Jesus said if somebody hits you on the cheek, you're to turn the cheek. In fact, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, meekness is when somebody can speak in a very awful way to you and you not let it bother you and you don't retort. That's what meekness is. Elisha was not demonstrating meekness on that occasion. Well, you could ask, is he operating under the law system at that stage? The law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If so... Elisha went beyond the law because 42 young lads lose their lives. And yet, what happened is not what Elisha did. You have to say it's what God did. Elisha cursed them in the name of the Lord. That means in the name of Yahweh. God did not have to respond to Elisha's curse, but he did. Well, now you can see the dilemma. Why is this sermon today important? Well, for several reasons. First, it is to teach us respect for the anointing. The anointing means the power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing, the presence of God. There's an occasion in the book of Acts where the presence of God was present in such power 
that the Holy Spirit just took over. And uh, some of the early church became so detached from their earthly things that they would sell their property and take all the money. They didn't give just 10% or 90%. They laid 100% into the laps of the apostles. They didn't have to do that, but that's what they did. But you see, there were those who wanted to look as though they did it. They wanted to be in. <clears throat> so instead of opting out, a man by the name of Ananias and joined by his wife Sapphira. They wanted to be in. So they, they took money from their property but gave part of it to the church and kept part for themselves. Now, if the Holy Spirit had not been present in such power, chances are nothing would have happened. I'm sure people have lied to the Holy Spirit since and nothing happened. But when God is present in great power, it becomes very, very serious that one does not grieve or quench the Spirit. Well, what happened was Ananias took part of the money, laid it to the disciples' feet, and Peter, who now has his anointing, immediately picks up on this. He discerns what Ananias had done. And he looked at him and said, why did you do this? Did you buy the property or sell it for so much? Yes. Did you give all the money to the church? No. Or did you make us think that you did? Well, yes. In doing this, Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. At that moment, he was struck dead right on the spot. Three hours later, his wife Ananias comes in. She doesn't know what has just happened. So Peter says, did you sell the property for so much? Yes. Did you give all the money to the Lord? Yes. Uh-oh. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. And she was struck dead right on the spot. I can tell you one thing that emerged there was a respect for the anointing. We're told that great fear, great fear came upon everybody. Well, now, although there is no biblical injunction that says you have to sell your property, give it to the church, for some reason, they wanted to do it, but they didn't want to do it. They gave part of it. And the Holy Spirit was present in such unusual power, they didn't get away with it. Well, this sermon today is important because it is wanting to teach you, and I hope that this will be a life-changing word, to have a respect for the anointing. But secondly, it is to teach us to respect God's anointed one, his minister, his prophet, his pastor, wherever his anointed can be found, you find it twice in the Old Testament. Psalm 105, verse 15, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. 1 Chronicles 16, 22, 
touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. You know, I've been thinking, this is a neglected area. I've only touched on it once or twice in my 62 years because it's only when the text calls for it that I would want to bring it up. But the text calls for this today. And I have to say, there are many people who have abused God's ministers and seem to get away with it. Uh, look at verses such as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews says. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. But I have to say, there have been many people over the years who have abused God's ministers, spoke against them, sometimes speaking ill of them to their faces. You know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God does not always step in immediately. And I'll tell you something else, an insight that I've discovered over the years. I've never preached on it much. Maybe I'll write a book on it one day. But here it is. The angrier God is, the longer he takes to show it. And so just because you do something that's wrong and nothing happens immediately, like in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, the moment they did what they did, God stepped in. And you may think, well, I got away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. The angrier he is, the longer he takes to show it. But there's a third reason that this is an important word. That is the imperfection of the minister, the prophet, the preacher, does not give you a right to speak ill of that person. Elisha was not perfect. It is very possible that he should not have done what he did. I think he was wrong to do what he did. But the fact that he was not perfect doesn't give anybody a right to speak against him. In that case, God stepped in and defended Elisha and we don't know whether it was defending Elisha personally, possibly not. It was the anointing that God was protecting. There's another interesting thing that comes out of this. There's an ancient issue in church history. Don't know whether you've ever heard of this. Back in the third and fourth centuries, the issue uh, was this. Whether the converts of ministers who fell from the faith whether those converts who were baptized by these same ministers, whether they ought to be rebaptized. 
That was an issue. For example, suppose Bruce. Where are you, Bruce? Good lad. Use him and his example, and he... Where did he go? Well, I must be careful not to abuse him. But suppose... Oh, let's just take Gabriel. Suppose Gabriel baptizes somebody. And then Gabriel, God forbid, I don't expect this, but suppose down the road he denies the faith. There have been ministers that have done that. Would that mean that the people he baptized now must be rebaptized? The answer is no. Uh, but it was a big issue in the early church and led by St. Augustine, and they concluded that the act of baptism that mattered was not the person who did the baptizing, but the one who asked to be baptized. And so also in the Lord's Supper. It's not those who administer the Lord's Supper. Those who administer it could be living immoral lives, but that doesn't mean that you cannot eat and drink of the blood of Jesus and be blessed. Well, now, here's one of the main reasons for this talk today. You may be surprised what I'm getting ready to tell you. But it's this. You have an anointing. You have an anointing. Everyone here, as surely as you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing. In fact, I can prove it. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. He's talking to all those Christians. In 1 John 2, 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, you remain in Him. Do you realize this, that you have an anointing? The person you are sitting next to has an anointing. In fact, would you just do this right now? I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you have an anointing. Do it now. Turn next to the person. <laughs> you have an anointing. And here's, this is what this means that I need to respect the anointing in you. Now, at this point, I need to give a major clarification. The anointing is twofold. There's external and there's internal. External, that's public. Internal, that's you in your private life. What 1 John 2 Verse 27 is talking about that you have an anointing from the Holy One that's internal, that's personal, that's you as an individual. You may or may not have the external because the external is public, your profile in the Christian church. And so you may be one of those who will never be seen. Let's say if you take the analogy of Paul about the body of Christ, uh, not everybody can be the head or the eyes or the ears. That's very visible. My own 
external anointing is that I'm a preacher. And so I have a public profile. I have an external anointing. There may be those here that you don't have anything like that, but you in the body, instead of being the head or the eyes, you're the kidneys, the pancreas, the intestines. The body cannot function without you. Your anointing is internal. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, what do you suppose will determine whether you receive a reward? Will it be your external or internal? It's the internal. Take me, for example. I will stand before God, and you will get to witness this, by the way. You'll witness this. You'll get, I'll get to witness you, too. Paul says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. My reward, if I have one, will not be given on the basis of my external anointing. So being a preacher here today, that's not increasing my reward in heaven. It has nothing whatever to do with it. I've written some books. They don't add to my anointing. Billy Graham, probably the most famous preacher in the history of the world, next to the Apostle Paul. He will not get a, a reward for his public anointing. It will be what one is like. My reward in heaven will not come because I've been a preacher and have a profile in Britain, in America, in certain places. It will be what kind of husband am I? What kind of father am I? Whether I have totally forgiven those who have hurt me, and this sort of thing. That is the internal. And so we will all be judged by our internal anointing, not external. But here's the thing. The anointing in you, which is internal, I must respect that. And that means that if I abuse you in any way by speaking curtly to you, untimely, hateful, with bitterness, and I've hurt you, God will deal with me. Vengeance is mine. He will protect you. And so you must be very careful when you speak against not only a minister, a person with profile, but how you speak about one another because each of us has an anointing. And you must be careful that you don't speak against a fellow believer. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And there may be someone hurt here today. Maybe you've been lied about. Maybe you've been cheated. Maybe someone has written about you. Maybe they talked unkindly to you, or maybe they spoke about you in an unkind way, and you are suffering over it. Here's my advice. Do absolutely nothing. Don't raise a little finger to protect your reputation or govern what people think or say. I myself, I know what it is to be hurt by people speaking against me, uh, you can go on the internet and look up my name on Google 
and you will find things that people have said about me. And they're, they're not true at all. And it's the funny thing, I've had two different people uh, who know how to reach Google. One man, he says, I know the guy who controls all of Wikipedia. He said, RT, let me write him and I'll get that off the internet. I said, don't ever think of that. Don't stop it. I said, I would rather have a greater anointing by that staying on than to take it off and I lose the anointing. The anointing means more to me than anything in the world. So it is with you. If anyone speaks against you, don't retort. Let God handle it. And this is the way you build up greater anointing, that inward anointing. Well, now, you see, this anointing is given to very ordinary people because we're all human. We're all very fragile. And so with Elisha, human, fragile, he should not have done what he did. He took advantage of his external anointing. And God doesn't like it, but he still defended Elisha's external anointing. He did. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you know this, he was very human. I think many people look at the Apostle Paul as right next to Jesus. Listen, do you know the Apostle Paul actually lost his temper one day in the presence of the high priest. In fact, what he called the high priest, a whitewashed wall. They said, you should not say that to the high priest. And Paul said, oh, sorry about that. I didn't know he was the high priest. Of course he knew who it was. But he lost his temper. And Paul needed a thorn in the flesh. Now, I've written a book, Thorn in the Flesh. We don't know what Paul's was. But we all need something to keep us humble. And Paul needed it. And guess why he needed it? It may surprise you. He said, I have a problem taking myself too seriously. He says, lest I become conceited, God gave me this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, whether it was an illness, whether it was an enemy. Uh, you may have a thorn in the flesh, and uh, maybe because you take yourself too seriously. Is there anybody here that would plead guilty to taking yourself too seriously? Anybody here like that? What's the matter with you people? You, you, you are you so self-righteous <laughs> that you won't admit that you take yourself too seriously? Did you raise your hand, Gabriel? <laughs> yep. By the way, did you know that there was a TV preacher in America, I would never reveal his name, but he actually said, that if the Apostle Paul had, had my faith, he wouldn't have had a thorn in the flesh. That's how low some can sink to get into the healthy, health and wealth and prosperity teaching. It's, it, it's sad. Here's the thing. We all need a thorn in the flesh to keep us humble and to keep us from being admired too much. And so every one of us, whether it be your external public anointing, or your personal inward anointing. Uh, what is the purpose of the anointing? Well, it's to demonstrate God's power. 
It can be preaching or it can be the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are your external anointing. The fruits of the Spirit, your internal. The fruits of the Spirit will be what determines your reward at the judgment seat of Christ, not your external gifts. You could have any number of gifts. They were sovereignly given to you. You didn't earn them. Because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They are without your doing anything to get them. Did you know that King Saul was given the gift of prophecy? That was his external anointing, apart from being king. And he was given the gift of prophecy. And yet on his way to kill little David, Spirit of God comes on him and he prophesies. Is there anybody here that could explain that to me? I mean, you would have thought, well, he just prophesied. No, it said the Spirit of God came on him. Read it. The end of 1 Samuel 19. The same Saul that had been rejected as king still had the gift of prophecy. Prophesying on his way to kill David. You see, what King Saul lost was the inward anointing. He lost that. Oh, did he ever. That he had the external. Well, now, the purpose of the anointing is to demonstrate God's power. And so... Peter, his external anointing was in play when he rebuked Ananias and Sapphira publicly. That was his external anointing. And uh, so when you have the case of Elisha, who, as best I can figure out, had at least five of the gifts of the Spirit. Elisha he had the gift of faith, word of knowledge, prophecy, healing, miracles, External. And so that's what Elisha had. Here's the thing. These gifts, as I say, are without repentance. That means they're irrevocable. God gives you the external anointing. Not anything you can do to hasten it. You can covet the best gifts and you can pray. God may give it to you, but if he doesn't, there's nothing you can do to try to work it up and say you've got it. They're sovereignly given. And so you don't earn it by being godly. You don't keep it by being godly because it's irrevocable. Well, Elisha himself, when did he get this anointing? It wasn't because he, he was godly. It was only one condition. And that is, Elijah says, if you see me as I'm carried into heaven, that's all you got to do, you just be watching you can have it. So that was it. He saw it, and he, and he was given this anointing. In fact, a double anointing. It wasn't because Elisha was a good guy. It wasn't because he prayed a lot. It wasn't because he forgave his enemies. You can see right here the way he treated these, these lads. It was sovereignly given. You may wonder why it is that a TV preacher can preach the gospel... Thousands be converted and that preacher himself visiting prostitutes in his private life. 
You say, how can God do that? It's because of what was preached, the gospel. A person preaching the gospel, God will honor the gospel, even if the person's private life is a double life, a wickedness. We've seen it happen in our generation. So, but whether it is external or whether it is internal, God will protect the anointing. And so, whatever else can be said about Elisha, uh, God stepped in because he wanted to teach respect for the anointing. And believe me, everybody after that day, they would not make fun of Elisha's bald head. They wouldn't make fun of him at all. God wants you to have a certain respect for the anointing, whether that person have profile or the person you never hear of. You should respect each person around you. And that means you must totally forgive those who hurt you. And you must not retort and defend yourself when you're spoken ill of because you want your internal anointing, which are the fruits of the Spirit, to glorify God. And at the judgment seat of Christ, the people with high profile will not be the ones that get the rewards it will be those with no profile. Picture this. Millions standing, waiting for your name to be called at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know anyone who does know, but I just know it will happen. And by some manner, you will get to see the Apostle Paul get his reward You'll get to see Billy Graham get his reward. You'll get to see me if I get any. It'll all be public. But then, I think of that person who was never known. And we're waiting for names to be called. And someone says, Imogen. And people say, who's that? This little lady says, that's my name. Oh, they're calling for you. Me? They're calling for you? Yes. Go all the way up. And so here's a lady named Imogene. No one knows who she is. But Jesus looks down at her and says, Imogene, we saw you when you were in hospital suffering and how you were just praising the Lord when no one understood what you were going through. We saw your pain. We know how your husband deserted you and left you all by yourself. You didn't complain, but you forgave him. You forgave him. Imogene, I saw you when you thought no one was looking. And now your time has come. Well done. You see, that's the way it's going to be. Your inward anointing will be respected at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, God wants us to respect one's anointing now. And so let me give you advice when it comes to respecting the anointing, whether it be with regard to a 
public profile or inward, no profile. Play it safe. Be careful. Touch not my anointed. It's all of you. Do my prophets no harm. Some years ago, was an incident in the state of Oklahoma. There was a prophetic person, and some of you would know his name. He's preached here. I'll just refer to him as Paul. This was many years ago, and Paul was a youngster in his early 20s. He was preaching in Oklahoma. And while he's preaching, a lady stands up and starts speaking in tongues interrupts the service. Paul looked at this lady and said, Sister, you are out of order. Please sit down. You're in the flesh. She sat down. Would you believe five minutes later, while he's preaching, she stands up, speaking in tongues in front of everybody. And Paul says, Sister, please don't do that. You're in the flesh. You're not in the spirit. And if you do that again... I'm going to expose you because I know you. I know a lot about you, and I'll expose you before all this crowd. Now, Paul has said to me that that's when he was young, and maybe he could have handled it differently. But here's the story. Would you believe a few minutes later, the same woman again stood up, spoke in tongues in the middle of his sermon, and Paul said, Sister... I warned you, you are having an affair with this man over here. You and this man are planning to leave tonight, to, to live together, and this man is leaving his wife and children for you. Well, you could hear a pin drop. After the service, when the pastor of the church drives Paul to his hotel or wherever he was staying. The pastor says, Paul, I'm closing the meeting down. Really? Why? Well, you know, it's uh, nobody's being saved this week, and I just don't feel like we should go on. Oh, says Paul, you are not closing the meeting for that reason. You're closing the meeting because the man that's running off with that woman has promised to give you a million dollars for your new building. The pastor said, that's a lie. Paul said, oh, you shouldn't have said that. You will not live to preach in your new building. Oh, the pastor said, Paul, please take that back. Please take that back. Look here, we'll have you back again. Don't worry, we're going to have you back. No, it's, I'm so sorry. I've said it. You will not live to preach in the new building. Two years later, the building is complete. It's the day of dedication. The pastor comes to preach his sermon in the new church walks into the vestibule, falls on the floor with a heart attack, taken to the hospital. A few days later, he dies. He never preached 
in the new church. Respect for the anointing. Play it safe. You do not know what the end will be. And here's a verse I would urge you to take very seriously. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When the apostle Paul was being judged, would you believe it? His own converts in Corinth were judging Paul, the very man that led him to the Lord. Sad. And so they were judging Paul. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, I carry very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. I can tell you now, that day will be worth waiting for. When God not only clears his name, because the infidels of this world say, how could God allow evil? And they charge God with everything. God says nothing. One day he'll clear his name. He'll clear your name if you've got vindication coming. Everybody will know. In the meantime, let's lower our voices. Don't speak against God's anointed. That means don't speak against anybody, whether public or their anointing is internal. We've all got an anointing, and God protects that and respects that. Respect for the anointing. Elisha was wrong, but God had such respect for the anointing that he dealt with those who laughed at him. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.